Greetings, everybody. Welcome to the new Conversations in Groove podcast. You might ask yourself, what are Conversations in Groove? Well, it's basically me having conversations with a lot of my friends to find out what their groove exactly is. Is it music? Is it TV and film? Some of them play guitar. Some of them play drums. Some of them don't play anything at all. But we have conversations about how they got to where they are in their careers, things we've possibly done in here, and things they have upcoming. So, welcome to Earth Tones Recording Studio, the home for the Conversations in Groove podcast. If you like what you hear, please leave us comments in the comments section below. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel here at Earth Tones Official and subscribe to the podcast on all of your podcast apps. I hope you're ready to have a good time. Welcome to Conversations in Groove. All right, so here we are. Welcome to episode, I think it's six now, season one of Conversations in Groove podcast. And today I have my guest and one of the coolest cats and one of the grooviest cats uh, that I know, not just in the way that he plays guitar, Mr. Gary Hoey, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, buddy. (laughs) How are you, man? I'm doing great. I'm doing good, man. It's nice to see and chat with you, man. Good to be here. Yeah, dude. And I know, I know uh, with all my guests, how are you is a, very, is a very wide and broad and general question with all this crazy uh, year going on. And you know, I, I, won't, I won't waste a ton of your time talking about what you did during COVID, but I know that you did some... Uh, I, know, I know that like all of us, you, you, uh, you probably discovered things you know, and, and ways to, uh, get out to the world and, and, and things that got close to you. I know I watch you on social media and we talk every now and then. And so tell me, tell me briefly about your, about your COVID experience and, and kind of what that, what that brought to the table and things that you maybe experienced and learned. Well, you know, it was interesting. I mean, we all got through it and the main thing was we got through it, you know, um, and, um you know what i think man overall is this you know i said uh, two years ago i was just joking around to my family i said hey man what if what if one day i I couldn't tour anymore you know what would i do then and uh and then all of a sudden i couldn't tour anymore (laughs) so be careful what you say at the dinner table no but um you know all of a sudden nobody could tour so it's it's interesting because in some way it sort of leveled the playing field in a lot of ways it made you know everyone from us to bon jovi have to sit home and face our family and do everything and um you know and for some people it made it better it made them go wow i really realized what i was missing and for some people it's like oh my god i can't stand the way you chew your food let's get divorced you know so <laughs> it did a lot of different things for some people some people it drove them more crazy um but for me you know i took a stance my social media girl i love she called me she's like so are you gonna let me go like all my other clients i said no you know i said i'm gonna keep you on board because i think over the next 12 months we need to be in people's faces because it's going to keep me sane, my fans sane. And, and so I said to her, let's just, you know, 
rather than hide under a rock and go in a studio and make a record, let's stay and in, in, in be current. So what I found out was, you know, what else could I talk about? I didn't have uh, a real big tour going on. So I talked about my 82-year-old mother who I have coffee with every day. And I started to just bring my real life into, you know, what my fans were seeing. And I started exercising every day because I didn't want to get out of shape sitting home. So I started encouraging people to exercise. And I just decided that, you know, I got to show people what my real life is. And to get through this, that's what we did in it. It kind of made it kind of cool and um you know getting to have my kids home from school and college at the time you know was was a special moment because it was the last time we all were probably going to be together like that so it had a lot of positive things happen um spiritually emotionally and uh made me realize what i'm thankful for and even more now in every way yeah yeah man i think it was uh i think it was a big uh reset time you know for a lot of people uh, and you know, if you, if you look on the positive side of, of everything, it was a big, it was a big reset. And, and like you said, with your kids are, your kids are probably about the same age as mine, maybe a little older. And I think that it brings you, it brings you closer. Like my, uh, my youngest son, you know, he, I feel, I, I feel bad for him, but at the same time, I feel great that I got to have him around because he, he like basically 15, he just completely missed out on being 15 out in the world with his friends, you know, like not seeing anybody being kind of locked down and all that. But it was great that I got to, you know, it's very rare that when they're 15 and they start to become very mobile that you, you see them a lot, start to see them a lot less. And I actually saw him a lot more, you know, and, and, uh, and so that was cool. And I know that with your mom, man, your whole thing with your mom, you had told, you had told me about having coffee with your mom before and then when it became a thing and I watched that, I thought that was so cool, man. That was great. Oh, thank you so much. Well, you know what? She, she's, a, she's a doll and she's, she's a crack up. And I think a lot of people may, maybe don't have their moms or their grandma. You know, they relate to her and her spitfire attitude and, you know, what comes out of her mouth. I just, she kept cracking me up every day. And I'm like, mom, I got to put you online because you're going to make people laugh. And it just kind of grew into a natural thing. And then we made coffee mugs and t-shirts. And now she thinks she's famous. So it's funny, funny. <laughs> oh, she is. What do you mean? She- <laughs> she's actually way more famous. Can I be honest with you? When I, st- I check out my stats, because everyone's got social media and you see like what posts kind of do well and you want to see what people are liking. Anything with my mom, it's like killing everything I do. I can say I, I did this and I did that. Her posts like get way more love. <laughs> oh, dude, I know, man. I can put things about studio sessions that I have about making records about stuff like that. I can put all kinds of stuff up there, but if it's a picture of my dog or a picture of my kids or a picture with my wife, it's like, bam, you know, then all of a sudden I'm like, Hey guys, I got to get y'all involved in the whole record making studio business because you know, you're really good for my, you know, you're really good for my foot. Real life. People (laughs) like real life. They love it. Yeah, man. They totally do. They totally do. So, um, so let's talk about, like a lot of people see Gary Hoey and I've known it's so funny, man, like talking with, uh, talking with Gales and having him on and he and I working a lot together lately. You know, I, I, I tell him, I tell him, I'm like, man, I've known you a lot longer than you've known me because I, I listened to your records early on, you know, and it's the same, like I say, it's the same thing with you. I had the early records. I had that endless summer to record the soundtrack to that rolled in my car perpetually man so go back to that i know that your i know that your first um your first your first big hit as a guitar player uh was a was it hocus pocus right 
Yeah, that was the one, the remake. Yep. That was the that was the one that kind of launched you into, you know, all the guitar magazines and things like that. So at at that point and being, I would say somewhat. I mean, I don't want to call it independent because it it's like even being even being independent back then was, you know, but but talk to me about your process as far as how you got at, at, at that point and what kind of like label deal that you had, you know, and how you got how you got to the point of going, I'm going to put this song out as a guitar cover and, you know, like what your plan was, because everybody has this grandiose plan. And when it finally pays off, you go, I told you so. You know, and yeah, absolutely. I mean, my my story is kind of a it's kind of an interesting story because I grew up, you know, playing in New England uh, on the East Coast and playing, um, you know, in cover bands and just you know trying to become a good guitar player, obviously. But I was studying like everything from blues to Jeff Beck, Stevie Ray, and just really you know a lot of the main guitar players that people were studying and. You know, I did grow up, I did wake up one day, I was playing a cover band and I said, you know, I got to stop doing this because I'm just going to end up in a Holiday Inn someday. So I ended up quitting sort of doing Top 40 and I started being in an original band, <laughs> went to making no money and started playing <laughs> around the Boston club scene and all my friends were like, you're stupid, man, you were making $900 a week. So um, I ended up, you know, trying to write songs and become a songwriter and focusing on that a lot. And one day Ozzy Osbourne was coming through Boston looking for a guitarist. He came on the radio. And I called the radio station and I started playing over the phone, just, you know, Aussie riffs. And they said, okay, kids, settle down, send us a tape. So I sent a demo tape in and they liked the song. They liked a couple songs I wrote and Aussie flew me to LA and I auditioned. And, you know, the story's in my bio, but I, I didn't get the gig, obviously, you know, Zach Wilde did and, and, uh, and he was so perfect for the gig, but I was a big Black Sabbath fan. I knew, you know, I knew a lot of the songs and they were in my blood. I just loved the band so much. So when I met Ozzy, it was just a dream come true for me as a kid growing up in Lowell, Massachusetts. I'd never been to a big city and uh, like that, you know, going to California. So after doing the audition, he, he advised me, you know, he said, Gary, yeah, man, you don't need to come out to LA, you know, sell all your shit, man, and get out here, man. <laughs> so I went home. Dude, I that's sold. one of the best Aussie impersonations I've ever heard. That's great. That's killer. Well, I love him. I, I was obsessed with him for years. But <laughs> and then I ended up coming home. I sold everything I had, and and I saved up seventeen thousand dollars, and I got a U-Haul, and I drove, you know, three thousand miles to LA. Went to Ozzy's house, showed up. He came outside. He's like, "Oh, fuck are you! Get off my fucking lawn!" You know, he's like, he didn't even recognize me at all. So he had no idea who the hell I was. So you were like, "I'm gonna." I'm move. like, "Ozzy, it's Gary Howie, man." He's like, "Oh, fucking Gary Howie, Howie, baby, get out of here!" Like, call Sharon, call the police, police. <laughs> so I'm like, "Okay, fuck that." So I went back to. Uh, I went back to LA and I, I moved out there and um, I ended up uh, forming a band called Heavy Bones. And Heavy Bones, we had Frankie Benelli on drums, God rest his soul. And uh, we had a singer named Joel Ellis who was in a band called Cats and Boots, who was a great singer. And we had- uh, I remember that band. A, yep, Cats and Boots was a band in LA. And uh, so, so my manager at the time introduced me to the singer. And anyway, we made a record. Um, we ended up getting a deal with Warner Brothers and uh, Reprise Records. It was you know, a pretty big deal. And it was kind of at the end of the 80s, early 90s. And, you know, we got caught in the crossfire of, of grunge. And um, we made a half a million dollar record with a big producer, Richie Zito. And, um, you know, the record just didn't happen. You know, we made a couple MTV videos, et cetera. So it just, it just didn't happen. So I ended up having some instrumental guitar music that I wrote. 
and I went to my Warner Brothers record rep and I said, hey, I'll make a record for $15,000. Just give me 15 grand. I'm going to make a little indie record at Rum, Rum, Rum Runners Records. And we went in and made a record and I asked Frankie and everybody for cheap and I'll give them a point and I gave people points to help me. And um, that's a smart move, man. You know, and we just made a record. And honestly, bro, my I just wanted to, you know, play all my favorite guitar players. If you listen to Animal Instinct, it has a little Jeff Beck. It has a little Stevie Ray. It has a little um, of Santana. It has like a little bit of everybody I loved. And then all of a sudden I got the Endless Summer 2 soundtrack and I got to play kind of the surf music and different music that, um, you know, went to the film. And it just kind of got me planted as an instrumental guitar player and um, kind of happened out of nowhere. We ended up with a top five Billboard hit with Hocus Pocus. And it was, you know, it was the last song we recorded. It's just my manager said, hey, what song did you like to play in the garage when you were a kid? And I'm like, you remember that song? <laughs> so he said, yeah, Hocus Pocus. So we recorded it. And uh, Tony Franklin played bass, The Fretless Wonder. Oh, yeah, and, dude. And he, you know, he played all the fretless crazy bass on that record. So, and, the band, and then, so the band on that song was you and Tony Franklin and Frankie Benali? That's Frankie doing all that double bass drums wow. and, uh, you know, the crazy drumming. It's Frankie. And, uh, you know, we had a big hit out of nowhere, man, honestly, with just no money spent. It just was made from love and passion. And then Warner Brothers saw it take off. We had an MTV hit and, you know, we, we were in the top 100 played records of that year, you know, early 90s. And um, it kind of did get me a chance to get in there as a guitar player. And, the, and not too many shredders were breaking at the time. Instrumental rock was kind of dying. They said shred was dead. And, um, and I just said, you know what, I'm just going to keep doing what I love and what I do. And I just, you know, I was lucky to really make it through. And, uh, and then my, my record deal ended when the Warner Brothers regime kind of crumbled and Mo, Lenny Warnaker and Mo Austin and all those big heavyweights, they kind of went away and a new regime took over. And, you know, man, I was there in the day, bro, when I used to sit in the office of Lenny Warnick and Mo Austin and play them demos and cassette tapes of stuff I was working on. And they would literally listen and criticize or say something. And, you know, these were guys that groomed, you know, everyone from Dire Straits to the, to, uh, the Doobie Brothers, you know, Ted yeah. Templeman, yeah. worked with Ted, uh, who did the, uh, Van Halen and all those great bands. So, you know, it just felt amazing to be on that label for those years that I was um, between the band and then my, my couple of records that I did with them. That's so cool, man. I mean, it was amazing. And, and in that time when you were talking about, you know, back in the day, because it's not so much now, you know, as far as label deals being completely different than, than they were back then, you were talking about grooming artists and they would, they would develop, they would so much develop, you know, an artist and take the time with you and listen to your demos and really go like, yes. okay, we're looking two records down the road for this kid. It wasn't all about, you know, I mean, it was all about, it was all about hits and making whatever happened, but they would give you a, a more of a chance than they would ever give you now. If, if well, they, you know, yeah, they were looking at developing exactly. They were looking at developing you over time to, to obviously, cause their investment was a lot. And I'll tell you a quick story. When we first signed, my band, uh, the Heavy Bones guys, Joel was a singer and I was, you know, obviously a guitar player and we, we would co-write most of the music, you know, um, and Frankie would, Frankie would um, involve in some of the songs and definitely arrangements. But I remember um, we came to them with what we thought was the, you know, 11, 12 like songs that would be the record. We're like, we're ready, we're done, we got 12, let's go. Right. And the A&R person who's sort of like, you know, for people out there, the A&R is sort of like your manager within the label to help you with your, it's artists and repertoire, obviously, but they help you with kind of your developing and things. So they said to us, well, you know what, we'll, we'll think about going in the studio when you guys have 35 songs. 
maybe 30, <laughs> 35. And we're like, wow, you know, to, to pick from for whatever, for the record. And it kind of like freaked us out at first. We're like, that sounds like a lot of music to write. And so I think what they were doing was trying to see if we were just going to be a one hit wonder, right. have 10 songs and never, you know, be able to write again. They wanted to see if we were prolific. They were seeing how, so we, how deep the well ran, man. Yes, they were like, what else do you have? Dig deeper. We want more ideas because the producer could maybe say, take something and develop it. So we, um, we went back to the studio. We were a little overwhelmed. We had some other ideas, but the band was all freaking out. And I said, stop. I said, hold on, man. I said, they said they want 35 songs. They did not say they had to be good songs. Right. <laughs> So I just said, let's just write whatever we want. So we started writing the stupidest stuff. The lady's name was Roberta. So we we're like, you know, oh, Miss Roberta, you better not hurt her. You know, and we're like writing stuff about her. And then we're writing things about the dog. Do you, and, still, you, know, we, do you still have those demos? Tell me yeah. you do. Wait, so I still have those demos. And I came across them recently, actually, because I had a sort of a rodent infestation under my studio here. Oh, that's and, no uh, we, we I had to dig deep. So I thank them now because I found all these old masters <laughs> that we needed to find. So it's crazy how that happens. But oh, yeah, we just wrote a bunch of crazy songs. And then some really good ones came out because we freed ourselves up to just, just kind of not really stress out about every single song being a masterpiece. Right. Because um, we wanted to be the next Aerosmith, if that could give you an idea of the band. You know, the Heavy Bones record for the, you know, I don't know if we sold, you know, 10,000 copies. We didn't sell that many. But I think the people that bought it looked at it like a classic rock kind of 80s meets the uh, Aerosmith kind of era. That's cool. But, you know, we, we were not going to make it in that time. So uh, that's what happened. I hear you, man. And so that's where, so, so that's where your, that's where your instrumental, the instrumental thing, you know, came in was after that. And then, but, but prior to this whole thing, go back, go, go, go back to the, um, go back to the Aussie thing for me and tell me about, cause I had no idea. Maybe I knew that you auditioned for him, but I didn't, I, I, I it wasn't right on the, it wasn't right on the front you know, of your mind. No, not at all. So, <laughs> so my thing is tell me about, Tell me and tell everybody about what that, because there's, you know, there's, there's, there's guys and when they're at your age or they were at my age back then or whatever, and they would think, man, if I just had my one shot, you know, if I just had that. So tell me the reality of what that one shot was like audition wise. Like what was your day? You know, I don't want you to turn it a long story, but what's your, what was your day like? Was it the whole band? Was he there? Who was there with you and what that sort of consisted of? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it, I mean, definitely a lot of it is a cliche, you know, like the movie, you know, when you see the movie or the guys all lined up in the hallway. Um, but even going back to when I got the call, bro, when the phone rang and I heard this British accent, it wasn't Aussie, but it was someone else with a British accent saying, hello, this is, you know, work for Aussie Osborne. And he was like a road manager like that guy. Right. And he's like, you know, I'm going to fly you to LA, man. And I'm like, is this Gary? And I'm like, who the hell is this? Stop screwing around with me, Dave, my friends and stuff. I'm like, because one of my friends does a good British accent. I'm like, who is this? And I was hanging up and he's like, no, don't. And so I ended up, you know, getting the flight out there. And, um, but, you know, I had a few weeks to prepare for the audition. And honestly, that was a time of very much reflection for me because I remember I was practicing, I was studying with some guitar teacher in Boston, trying to become great at everything you know, as a guitar player, learning maybe modes and jazz and all this stuff. And then I get a, a call going, you're going to play with Ozzy. And these are the five songs, you know, or whatever four songs it was. It was, you know, I Don't Know, Crazy Train, you know, a lot of the, the, the big songs and Bark at the Moon, I Don't Know. And, um, and then they said, and you're going to do an unaccompanied guitar solo. That was another part of the audition. They said, at one point, you're going to, you're going to, everyone's going to sit down 
and you're going to have to do something for three to five minutes that is just you. Imagine you're in an arena, 10,000 people, like Randy would do, like Eddie Van Halen would do. He would just start going, and then maybe do a quiet, clean thing, and then maybe do a classical type thing, then maybe a bluesy type thing, and create sort of a thing. So I had to start developing that solo and maybe i did like a two-handed tapping thing at one point i kind of tried to put in like all these elements that I, that I that i usually would see when i went to a big concert yeah and and i remember just you know throwing my jazz books in the closet shutting the door i took a marshall stack out i put it on like 10. <laughs> i went in a rehearsal space you know that i rented and i remember you know trying to control that feedback of this stack on 10. it was a little scary because i hadn't really done it in a while and i had to sort of feel that power and then when I went to LA to do the audition, now I'm thinking I got my solo, I'm ready. I've got the songs down, I'm ready. Um, and um, I fly out there and I get off the plane and the guy's waiting and he, I get in the back of a limo, you know, there's a limousine and the guy's driving like a maniac, you know, he must be driving 10 <laughs> guitar players a day because he's driving really fast down Sunset Boulevard. And I'm a little scared at this point. <laughs> right, right. I'm in the backseat, we're flying around these corners and I'm thinking, wow, this is cool, but I'm a little scared. So we get there and um, I remember coming in and everyone's really nice and Sharon was there. And uh, I remember being in a hallway and there's a lot of guitar players with black leather jackets and long hair. <laughs> right, right, right. There's a lot of guys that look just like me. Um, and I just remember going into the room. I was really blessed. I got to play with Ozzy. He was there. He came in, sang with us. Oh, wow. That's cool, with, man. With a lot of people uh, did not get, I guess, during the auditions. And uh, Randy uh, Randy Castile was playing drums. Oh, wow. Uh, um, yeah, who was the away. band at that time? That was that was right after you'd said this is after, this is between Jake and Zach. So that would have been after the Ultimate Sin record, right? Yep. Yep. And it was, uh, it was Phil Susan on bass. Killer yep. bass player. Yep. Phil's an awesome guy. Great songwriter. Great, player, great writer. He wrote... Um, he wrote uh, shot in the dark yeah you wrote that um yeah and, and randy on drums and just yeah what a band man and uh i remember going in there and they had like you know forget about one stack i think it was four <laughs> and it was so loud bro like <laughs> arena type loud in the big pa in the big room and um they had eight by tens all over the wall like stuck on the wall you know with people um and uh, i remember just literally like tapping you know the e-string and i think my hair like you know, parted the opposite way. It was <laughs> like, I've never heard anything that loud in my life. So that was a little scary. Right. And, um, <laughs> and we played and, and then Ozzy came over and was, you know, shaking his hair at me, you know, going like that, go, go, go kind of thing. And, uh, it was a dream come true for me, man. And, and they, they liked me. Um, you know, I got a good vibe from them. They asked me to come back the next day. So I got a call back the next day and the band was feeling good and everything but you know zach was the perfect guy man he just right you know i really believe he was um was the perfect guy for it but for me man it was the most amazing kind of boost of my just my confidence to say that you know i, I could do something with my life and my career and you know i really think it gave me that uh, a lot of confidence in myself and for yeah, someone like man, Ozzy I mean, to just even look at me once, you know, being able to get from that point, like, like you're talking about at that, at that age and in the town that you were in and, and being from the situation that you were band wise. And then, and that's like the, that's like the dream thing. That's what everybody at that age is like, that's the guitar player that you want to be. Right. And then, and then to actually get the chance. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm sure it was, I'm sure aside from having to play all the stuff, it was probably just completely 
overwhelming experience. But I mean, that's just got to be cool, man. I mean, uh, it sounds very cool. Well, it is, you know, it gives you, it gives you that confidence to even just to think about it. You start fantasizing about getting a gig and think of if you got it and things like that. But for me, I kept a positive attitude, even though I didn't get it. And then there was a funny chain of, um, series of, of auditions that I did after not getting Aussie, just to let you know, before sort of heavy bones really developed. And before, um, I kind of waved, you know, this 20 something album career of Gary Hoey, I was trying out for everybody, man. I tried out for Ronnie James Dio. Oh, did uh, you really? <laughs> yeah, did an audition oh with Dio <laughs> and became great. very good friends with Vinnie Apice and, you know, Claude Schnell and, you know, um, James, Jimmy Bain, God bless his soul. But, you know, just, you know, playing with Dio in the room and, and the guys in the band, again, like they were just, they were loving me and saying, Gary, man, I think you got the gig, you know. But right. again, you know, uh, Ronnie went with uh, the young kid Rowan, the British kid, you know. Oh, and he, okay. So that was, I gotcha. And so he went with, and he was a great kid too, great guitar player. So, you know, and you realize when you're going for a gig, man, anyone out there listening, I mean, if you're really good, you know, be ready, you know, and be yourself, but it just comes down to the tiniest little thing sometimes at the end of the day on why you might get a gig or why you might not. And it's really a weird thing, but it could come down to as simple a thing as hair, hair color, your hair is too big, your hair is too small. I mean, it could be that other person knows the drummer pretty well and and there's a bro ski there going on so don't right. let it beat you up you know what i mean like if you get an audition just it's such a good experience to go out and play with other people yeah yeah and i'm you sure and i'm sure in those auditions you probably you probably learned you probably lot, learned a lot about the professional music industry like really fast like yep absolutely well and i and it's funny because i auditioned for share you know um <laughs> Cause I wanted a gig, man. You know, I was I'm like, I want, say. To, I want a gig, man. I want to go on the road. I want to eat catering. You know, I want to do something. So, you know, I want, you to, want, I want to eat catering. That's awesome. Yeah, I want to catering, man. I just want to eat good. I want to stay in a hotel. Um, and uh, so I tried out for share, and I do respect her. You know, I, I mean, it wasn't my metal, honestly, my favorite metal gig I was trying out for, but her music was definitely had some good guitar stuff here and there in it. And I and I tried out. You know, the the, the arrangements were cool, and. Um, at the time, you know, didn't get the gig again. You know, I think it was a friend of a friend that got the gig. But um, and then I was hanging out with Steve Vai and he says, hey, do you want to audition for David Lee Roth? You know, when Roth was looking for a guitar player. And, oh, when, uh, he got, actually, when he got out? Yeah, when he got out. I actually did not go in for the audition because I was just starting to work with the singer from Quiet Riot, Kevin Dubrow. Yeah. Who I will say, God rest his soul. Oh my God, all my all, all these poor people swear, passed man, away. It's so it's, it's him and Frankie Benelli together. But I was I was writing with Kevin actually before I even met Frankie. Um, you know, I was in L.A. man, just trying to meet people, and 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 Kevin was looking for guitar players to co-write with. So we were co-writing and writing demos. And um, so there was a period of time where I was really bouncing around trying to find my home. Uh, I even wrote with another one of my idols, Steve uh, Steve Perry from Journey um get out yeah i got to co-write with steve and, and had him in my apartment i was freaking out that was during was that during like his solo career like after journey yep wow. yep that was when he was you know meeting with different guitarists and writing with different people and uh and i had i got to spend a little time with him you know which was just a great experience and, and i have i actually have some demos of him still singing on it oh wow and he's like just you know and i would never put it out you know without his permission but he's saying and then he would be like all right give me another track you know 
And then he would just do something after that. Like, and it would just be incredibly like perfect. And he'd be like, yeah, give me one more. And then he would think like a third thing. And it would, it was never going back to do it again. And there's no auto tune. There's no pitching, nothing. His right. voice is a, is an instrument of God. <laughs> and when you're sitting in the room, I mean, I literally went to the bathroom. I was stretching the phone and they're calling my friends. I'm like, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Perry's in my room right now singing. <laughs> that's crazy, <laughs> like, yeah, right. Dude. That's yeah, so like, cool. So, and and when you were making those connections with all these auditions, what I find even nowadays is, is that it's you know people say it's not what you know, it's who you know. I think it's a perfect combination of what you know and who you know. But when you yes. when you have that initial, not even just the Aussie thing, but when you have that initial thing and you meet someone who's connected to five other different people or they're in a band that you go and then they hear, Hey, there's this guitar player guy that writes with other people. And then you start this networking kind of snowball thing. You know, that's something that I think that I try, you know, like I try to talk to young people who are, you know, maybe listening to, to this show and try to share knowledge with them about that stuff. Like you guys sharing the knowledge of, of, of that and these audition processes and, and people think, wow, at that time it would have been impossible for me to meet, you know, Kevin DeBro to meet Dio to get into auditions for what, but it's like once you start that ball rolling and you become like to me, I find that when you become that guy that knows that 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 has that has feelers out and meets these people, but you also you can't just show up after meeting these people and be a schlub. You gotta you gotta be able to play. You gotta be prepared. <laughs> you know you oh. have to have all the stuff in place. So when these connections fall in your lap, you know like things happen to me now that the 17 year old me would have freaked out out at, at my age, 53. And I work with people and I go, man, the 17 year old me wanted to do this, but was not even remotely prepared, you know, to do this. So you have to, you have to be, when those things happen, you have to be prepared for them. Did you, did you find that to be true with all those audition processes? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you have to, um, you have to look at it like, you know, all the hard work you do, all the hard work you put in when that opportunity comes, you know, I think you deserve it. You earned it. You, you're there. You have to tell yourself that because in any profession, whether you're trying to be a professional boxer, you know, MMA fighter, you know, rock star, CEO, you know, you have to have confidence in what you know and what you've done and the work you've put in and what you can uh, bring to the table. And I remember as a young guitar player, again, you know, breaking into the scene, um, uh, getting the, I got a tour with Joe Satriani, uh, early nineties after my album came out and I had a hit on the radio. I remember, you know, going on tour with Satriani and it just felt like, wow, this is really happening. I'm playing with some of my favorite guitar players. Like Eric, <laughs> you know, Eric Johnson would show up for a jam and I'd be like, Oh my God, that's Eric Johnson. <laughs> I remember, you know, on the G3, whatever tour, getting in and playing with those guys and Steve Vai, just what a nice guy and hanging out on his bus. And he's like, Gary, you know, I'm going to show you this song. And I'm like, oh my God, you're Steve Vai, you know? And, uh, <laughs> so and it was cool. so geeky, but he looked at me and he's like, yeah, you're Gary Hoey. I like your album, Endless Summer too, man. He goes, I really like the soundtrack. And he goes, sometimes my trainer and I, we work out to that album. And I said, you work out to my record? I was like, no way. And so it blew my mind. But I remember just, you know, these guitar players kind of telling me like, hey, you're in the club now. You've worked, you've got a record out, you have a hit, you're on tour. Just, you know, just be yourself and don't worry about not deserving it. You know what I mean? Right. Wondering why it's happening to you. And I remember, you know, other guitar players doing that to me, just making me feel like, you know, because you know, you're trying to break as a guitar player, you, you feel like you can't, um, you can't 
uh, and reinvent what everyone's already done behind you between Eddie Van Halen, Jimi Hendrix, you know, and the greatest guitar players like your friend Eric Gales and right. these people who do things, it seems effortless. But for me, I just said, you know what? I'm not going to reinvent the guitar, but I'm not going to have a whole lot of fun doing it. And I'm going to play like the people that I like. And it kind of became me, you know, oh, yeah. um, even though I was trying to rip off Jeff Beck or trying to rip off this guy, it became me. And um, I've been doing this retrospective tour lately, going back to my 20 albums and going back to Endless Summer 2 and literally having fun playing those songs again and remembering how I played them and even Animal Instinct and having oh, to do the riffs again. So that's cool. I'm out playing that stuff live and and I'm going to you know do some videos and show people how I played it while I still remember it. <laughs> yeah, man. That's very cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So you're oh, doing... so. So you just mentioned retrospective tours. So you are back doing dates, yeah? Yes, yes. And the tour that you're doing is, you said it's a retrospective tour. It's not necessarily, I know a lot of times there's still the old school, like, you know, album tour cycle, you know, new album, new tour. Sure. Or, you know, new, new, new album, new songs in the, in the shows that I'm actually playing, you know. So this, so doing the retrospective tour, uh, that's pretty cool, man. And you got like, you had, did you say 20 records? I have, yeah, I have 20, probably 22 albums, including like all the Christmas and the heavy bones and everything. It's probably 22 albums, but you know, I, I mean, I say that, but you know, some of them are live records. Some of them, I did Christmas records for probably Christmas holiday albums. So there's a lot of different music soundtracks. Um, yeah, it's a lot of stuff. Yeah. And so the, and so the Christmas thing too, man, I remember, I remember that first kind of happening. And what I, what I always, what I always admired about you. And I said, it's funny because when we first, when you and I first met, I told you, I was like, dude, I saw you. And I mean, you would never remember me at all, man. I saw you, I didn't see you play, but you were doing a tour. And I guess it was for that first record because you were a, you're an, you, and, and that's what blows my mind too, man. You are the king of endorsements early on. You were a, you were a, you were so cool with the endorsement thing. You had a Rocktron endorsement, I think it was, right? Yes. Yep. And I remember going, I was driving, I had a real job at the time. Not that this is not a real job, but I, I, I had a real job at the time and I was traveling and I was driving through Oklahoma. And I remember I would go to, I would drive through these states I'd never been to in my entire life. And I would flip on and try to find if there were rock radio stations in town. And I remember one of the radio stations saying that you were, that, that you were at, it was an advertisement or something that you were live, you were live at a, it was either a music store or a record store or something in Oklahoma or Oklahoma City. I don't know if it was Tulsa or Oklahoma City. Anyway, and I was driving as fast, looking at my Atlas, you know, we had a, we had Atlases, you know, we didn't have any GPS yeah, yeah. stuff. <laughs> so I'm looking at my Atlas and I'm trying to, trying to figure out where this place is and I'm pulling around and I finally find this place and I pull up and you're packing your stuff up. And I walked up and I, I just briefly chatted for a second. You had your Rocktron rack mount gear. I can't even remember if I saw any guitars that you had. But I thought that was so cool because you were you were on that, you were doing that tour if it was promotional stuff for gigs or whatever it was, but you were doing that tour and you were by yourself and you were playing to, I guess, backing tracks, maybe? Yep, yep. Oh yeah, because I used to do that radio too. I used to bring a DAP machine. I was one of the first artists to go into live radio, bringing a DAP machine and a rack um, that I would wire into a mixer, and I would, you know, go into the station and ask them to patch me in, and they'd be freaking out because they hadn't opened the stuff since the '70s, you know. 
So yeah, and then I would then I would do clinic workshops, maybe like what you were saying at a local store. If I was endorsing either Hamer, Fender, um, Rocktron, and G- uh, Diderio Strings, whoever it was at the time, and I it was funny, bro. Sometimes to try to fund whatever tour I was on, sometimes I would have gigs, and maybe on the off days we would try to do clinics in a music store to kind of cross promote maybe or to pick up extra cash on the days off. I mean, I don't. I was just trying to sometimes get people get as many companies, you know, working together in some way, you know, right, um, right. to help, to help out. You were hustling, man. I mean, that's a, that's a hustle, dude. You know, that's not, and people think about that even at that point, they're like, you know, having a song on the radio, all that stuff. And you were talking about tour Satriani and all this, and they look at it and they're like, man, that's the rock star life. That's where I want to be. And then you're like, man, I am hustling on my days off. I'm playing things that playing things that come up, you know, and sometimes probably last minute things that come up. If you go into a town, where's there a store? Can we do something? You know, you, you can plan some stuff, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a hustle. And although I'm uh, at that age, it's a lot more fun to hustle <laughs> than it is to have to hustle, to have to right. hustle later on and do so much work, but it's a hustle, man. I mean, and it's, yeah, and it, it is, and a it's a lot of sure. work, man. You know. It's a tremendous amount of work, and I, I have to tell you, I um, I mean, Fender one year alone, I did I did like fifty eight clinics, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it it was a lot between everything else. But then we um, when I was on Warner Brothers, man, they used to work me like it was unbelievable how how hard they would work me um, doing promotion, you know. And I was excited to be on tour and doing promotion and doing radio interviews, but wow, I've never seen a machine like that function where they would have me anywhere from you know sitting in a, in a room you know doing interviews every 15 minutes for eight hours wow. you know with a lunch break a lunch break and something in there a break here and there but it was really unbelievable like you would end one put down the phone another line would go on and you'd be like hey it's Gary and you'd have to answer the same questions every 15 minutes and then another thing was um I was very blessed to have this I had one of the heads of Warner Brothers um michael lenahan amazing guy used to take me and fly me you know all over the country to do radio promotion so we would come in stations do interviews and you know try to get people to take my record on and it was an amazing time man because back then you know you would literally like the station sometimes djs were really nice in the south especially they were so sweet down south they'd say man i'm adding your record today more you know in heavy rotation because you played on the radio right live, you know and because i came in and played live right in their face and i wasn't just you know right and i always showed up on time and i was humble and if they said you know can you wait till we finish the sports and then the girl's going to do traffic and then we'll have you play i'd say i'll, I'll play behind traffic and they'd say you're going to play behind traffic and then i'd go boom and i'd play a little chicken picking thing behind traffic and i was i was so humble and um and the djs remembered that and they appreciated that and i'm not mentioning any names but you know but some rock stars come in and they're like i want to be in and out and there's a manager yelling saying he's only got 10 minutes and i'm like come on you're already here man what are you gonna do go to the pancake house just be nice you know yeah yeah and i mean in that and that speaks in that industry it really speaks i think it really speaks volumes you know when you when you get into that and having to deal with so many different people in so many different towns and they're used to dealing with rock yeah, stars all the are. time man i mean back then they you know so and so, if they're a big fan that you want to be nice to them too well exactly because if, they, if they're over the top fans like they're expecting you to be kind of this guy's like bigger than life or something you know they build you up and then if you're if you're if you're not cool then they, they you let them down you know so for me i've always been you know, I always be cool to people. You just have to be. Yeah. So 
You mentioned uh, you mentioned Fender earlier, and your and Fender having you do um, having you do clinics and having you do stuff like that. And I didn't. It didn't even really hit me until we met how long you've been with Fender and been a Fender and been a Fender guy and just been involved in that company. I know that you were playing. Uh, and I'm looking at my. I'm pointing at it. It's behind your. It's behind my camera, so you can't can't see it. I'm looking at my EVH. 5152 your small your your small traveling head i've got the yeah. exact same one that you have and i remember i was like they're actually made by fender now right so yeah, fender started like, to manufacture them and uh, and you were the one that advised me to get the mod thank you yeah dude the mod i got it on my, i'm sitting here thank looking you. at looking at thank that you one. very much i appreciate that from you <laughs> dude it works right because that's the first it thing works that brilliantly you... and it makes the amp much better so every day and every show i think of you <laughs> I swear, dude, because that channel one and two, it's like you had to just pick which one you were going to use because you couldn't use both of them. You're that's why you are. And that's like that song. That's what friends are for. (laughs) For amp mods. That's exactly right. Helping you at three in the morning when your Pro Tools is dying and crashing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. No, my Lord, man, I swear. Is that, I mean, everything. I mean, you know, and, and that's, uh, that's, that's hilarious, dude. But yeah, that's right. I totally forgot about that because my buddy Dale is a Fender guy. And he was like, you know, they got a mod for that thing. And I was like, what? And then I knew that you and I had literally had that conversation. And yeah. I was like, man, you've got to get that mod, dude. So I'm in love with the stealth right now. I've got the stealth on right now. Yeah. And uh, oh my goodness, that head, bro, is so incredible. Eddie, God rest your soul, my man. Um, he what he did with the stealth um and when i first got it it's you know it's it's all black you know and all the knobs are all black so i i replace all the massive volumes with white knobs yeah and i do the same on, on the other head that has all the white knobs i replace the masters with black because i can't see them on stage but but the head it just it just sounds so incredible um i have it on right now and um I got a mic on it, but it, this is just, this is just the clean channel. I mean, I don't know if you can hear, but this is, this is the clean channel. And it has like a game where you can crunch it up a little bit just for the, for channel one. I can't get to the foot pedal from here, but, but this channel alone, man, is like. Sounds pretty cool, huh? <laughs> you are my first. You are my first guest to play guitar live on on air, man. So I love it. Your your setup, you know that uh, <laughs> you're, you're just, that 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 goes back to the walking into the radio station, just patching directly in. Uh, that <laughs> it well, sounds well, you, so killer, dude. It sounds great. Well, you know what's funny is I again the same thing for me is you know I have when we went on lockdown, I wasn't really good at like live streaming too much, and I started learning and watching for videos from people and stuff. And then I started running it into a little focus, right into the computer. And so to simplify it, I have my, I kind of have a mixer over here with a PA that I'll use to kind of rehearse in my room. And then 
I just kind of run stuff into that and then I can just patch it into the focus right so no matter what's in there I can mic a guitar in here or you know and let let that happen because for me and it's funny you say that because I I play over the radio a lot when I'm doing interviews on the phone right and I have um I have an iRig that I kind of set up with a separate mixer that I can split and you know and use use it for phone interviews with your iPhone people out there if you don't know um, you know if you get yourself an iRig you can actually do a splitter thing with a mixer and it's really cool because you can do phone interviews where it sounds to the guy on the other end like you're right there it wow. doesn't sound like you it doesn't sound like you're on a cell phone at all like what I do is I use this mic I run it into a mixer then I use an iRig and the way the iRig works is you get a you know, you get a split, you can split it out and run the channel into a, I guess, a monitor channel or an effect send. And then um, I can share the setup with you if you want, if you want. But, uh, oh, that would be killer. And then you can do phone interviews that sound like you're right there. And the same thing, I'll pick up my guitar and I'll play through like my line six pod or something over there. And the guy on the phone, the DJ will say, you're the first person that ever played over the phone. <laughs> Because a lot of people don't do that on an interview on the phone. They don't and start you, riffing out. You're like, bro, I have made a career out of this. <laughs> I mean, dude, you could be you could be like a friggin' consultant for people doing that. I mean, think about your whole your whole Christmas thing. You know, your whole Christmas thing. I remember stations here. I remember stations here. And they would be like, oh, and this, you know, and it would be like holiday season, you know, and this Tuesday morning, you know, we have Gary Hoey, you know, with Ho Ho Hoey. And I was like, did they just say Gary Hoey's going to be on the morning show like at Christmas time? Like, and then it was, it became that whole thing, man. And you, you would just wear out the radio circuit and the morning shows too, man, like hit them in the morning yes. and then you would have a show and you'd be promoting yes. a record and all that. And I was like, man, you are a marketing and promotional hustler, dude. Thank you so much. You know what? It was, a, it was a, um, a time where, you know, for me, you know, we, I guess I guess if you if you if you played enough shows, everybody out there where there's no one in the seats when you get there, or you you tell your agent I want to go on tour, and you know he sends you to Tulsa, and there's five people there, and you're just trying to get them at the bar to turn around and just look at you, you know, so you're playing all night. And I've been there, so what I found out is after I went home, is I would rather, and I did this so many nights, man. I'd play a show and I would drive all night to get to Detroit, Michigan. I'd fall asleep in the parking lot. I'd wake up at six or seven in the morning and I'd go in the station and I would do an interview that I slept in the parking lot. I never even got to the hotel because I had to drive all night to make it to the radio station. But then I would go on the biggest rock station in town. And then that night we would sell like another 200 tickets That's that great. weren't even sold. So I had to kill myself to do it. But it was really what we had to do. I remember being in airports, falling asleep under the chairs at the airport, just crawling up in a ball, just telling my agent or whoever I was with going, I can't even move, man. Or do we have to go to that city? And just, just being that tired from physically traveling and doing everything we had to do. But I was young and I just did it. I'm like, yeah, man. And then, you know, after the show, we were okay and we'd start over. <laughs> yeah, 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 man. I mean, yeah. that's, uh, and, and, that, and that, that leads me to the fact that I know that you are a workout fanatic and you keep yourself in shape. And, and that is, that's killer to me because I think that is another, I think that is another portion of the thing that kind of gets left out. Like you don't see, you're talking about the sheer, you know, how tired you can be from, you know, and, and calling. And, and the thing is when people are like work, you know, and they're thinking that, you know, playing is fun all the time, you know, because you're, you're in a band and you play guitar and that's what you get paid to do, you know, but it, it's, it's a, it's a ton of work and it's a ton of no sleep. And I noticed that you 
work out like a maniac, like religiously every day. And I think that's killer, man, because, and, and talk about how, tell me about how important that is to your overall routine as far as touring and, and things like that. Well, you know, I think and physical, physical to me, especially as we get older, you know, I think it becomes more important. You know, when you're young, I mean, you can be on tour and your workout on stage is pretty good. You know, you're working out every night, you're on stage, you know, that's a pretty good workout and you just don't need as much. But I felt, I find as I, as I got older, I was having more aches and pains, you know, just more like my knee, my knees hurting, you know, uh, my knees cricked out or my, and my shoulders just keeps hurting. The guitars are literally hurting my shoulder just to hang on me. So I started feeling like I just like a sloth or whatever it was I, like, I wasn't in the shape I used to be too busy to work out. Um, and as a teenager, I grew up in martial arts, you know, my, a lot of kids did growing up taking karate and different classes like that. And we grew up, my friend and I, Dave, took, took martial arts and, you know, it was at a time when I was like 13, 14, and, and it kept us off the street, it kept us out of trouble. We were in there five nights a week. I got my black belt and I, you know, fought in some tournaments, you know, karate tournaments as a teenager. So martial arts became a really important thing to my life and people that know me know that I love the UFC. I have, you know, friends in the UFC and, I, you know, the dear friends of mine that are in the UFC. So I have a lot of respect for martial arts. And so I kind of learned, I think, the discipline through martial arts of, you know, you got to keep working hard at something to achieve. And over time, if you stay focused, you will achieve it if you keep doing it. So I learned the discipline from the martial arts. And that also transcended when I started to play guitar. Um, when I was a teenager, I thought I was going to end up with a dojo with you know 300 students and that was gonna be my life until music took me over. And then when music took me over, I realized, oh man, this is what I wanna be doing. This is what God made me here to do. So music took over and I tried, transcended the same thing, building up to playing 10 hours a day to become a better guitarist, going in every day whether I wanted to or not. And you know, it gave me that focus. So when I, when I started to find COVID hit and everything, I started to share my workout with people. I was more private about it before. But what I find is this, I would love to wake up every day, man, and just go to the studio and grab my Strat or my Les Paul or my Hamer and just put on some cool sound and start, you know, becoming a better guitarist and go in, you know, Pro Tools and record new songs. But if you do that every day and you don't take care of yourself, then what happens is you don't give yourself time to get away from all those things, force yourself to focus on you for an hour and, you know, get a good sweat going to get the toxins out of your body and, and maybe have a struggle in front of you because I feel like it prepares you for the day. It prepares you for life and it, it gives you time to, um, to just build up the, the strength in yourself that you need as you go on. And I think when people first get back to it, it's difficult, but as you get more, um, strength coming back, you actually feel more confident, you feel better about doing it. And so I really, I'm, I'm, I'm an example of it. I'm 60 years old um, and I'm not on any medication. I don't take anything, you know, and my, my numbers are, are really good. And um, I personally eliminated a lot of pains that I had um, that just went away by building my muscles a little stronger and giving myself um, some support for the joints. And then also spending an hour doing cardio every morning I built up to it by w just walking fast. I don't run, I don't pound on, on pavement. I literally just do a, a power walk um, for an hour and it really gives me a lot of, a lot of good stuff. That's awesome, man. That's yeah. awesome. And I know that, it, and I know that it just not even, not even for guitar sake, but I know that, you know, just, just 
doing it clears your mind in the morning. It feels to, to me, if when I do have time to work out, which I'm not as good at it as you are by any means, but when I, when I do have time, I feel like I've accomplished something before I even start what I, what I, what, what I, what I really need to get accomplished. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like yes. I've accomplished a task. And so in my head, I feel yes. like, okay, I've already, I've already accomplished this. And like you say, it's for you. So I know working in here and working in the studio all day. And, and then, you know, you hear, I have guitars, I have music coming at me all day. Very rarely do I get in the car after I leave here, you know, for 10, 11 hours of doing this, do, do I crank up music and listen to music on the way home? Because I'll listen to podcasts uh, or I'll listen to whatever, you know, talk radio or something like that, yeah. that, that takes my brain out of that. You know, you have to unplug it to be able to focus in on something. You have to unplug from it and get away from it for a little I'm while. I'm the same way. People ask me all the time, Gary, you, you walk, you do an hour treadmill every day. What do you listen to? What's your playlist? And I really don't have a playlist because music is my life. Music is everything I do. From the time I get off that treadmill and I'm done getting ready to go my day, I um, you know, it come, becomes all music. I'm either editing something for Lita Ford, I'm mixing something, I'm working on a new record, um, I'm, you know, I just got invited to do a song, I just got invited to be in a movie, um, I'm going to do a little scene in a movie coming up, and just things have been coming in that are just small little projects that are like really cool for me to be able to do. So when I work out in the morning, I totally get away from music at all, completely, and I either put on like old Twilight episodes or something. I just watch something on TV. <laughs> right. Um, you know, I turn on the news for ten minutes, to make sure nothing's blowing up. I'm like, okay, we're still good. You know. <laughs> so so that uh. So that man, you're 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 perfect at the at the segue, man. Like everything you're everything you're talking about, I can just segue right into something else. So let's talk about. You just mentioned the Lita Ford record. Let's talk yeah. about. Um, uh, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that record and what you're and what you're doing with that now. And this is the yes. is this the second one you've done for her? It it is the second one. And I did want to say one more thing just to end the whole exercise thing. I do want to tell musicians out there, you know, if you work out regularly, you know, you will be a better, you absolutely, it'll affect your, it'll affect your musicianship. You will be, you will be a better musician. I'm not saying you're not great now, but exercise really enhances it. And also the same with engineers, producers, mixes like me and you, my friend, and you're a musician, you do it all. It's, you know, when we're crippled over this this console and we're just working endless hours in the studio, I find just getting a chance to work out, you know, just keeps me in tune with where my body's feeling and how everything's feeling. Even in the studio, I'll be like, you know, I, I'm going to get up for 10 minutes because I can just kind of feel the tightness in my neck or whatever oh, happening. I swear, man, it's like the sitting, the sitting and the looking at the screen is just like, woo, kills me. It's brutal, and the, and people don't realize. And you 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 get you get all locked up in the shoulders and everything. And it's funny because Father's Day was this week, and I got to show you guys this. Out. I, this is one of my Father's Day gifts. So I got I got one of these things. Oh, dude! I got like one the, of those when I bought my. Uh, it's when got I the different my, attachments, and it's you can killer, put it right. Yes, you can put it on your, your your little things that are all burnt out, and it takes the knots out. So anyway, pretty cool, man. It, it's it's a it's a massager thingy, guys. Okay, so um, your. So we're talking about the Lita Ford record. We're talking record. about the Lita I, Ford record. Yep. yep yeah. Yep. I, I'll just you know give you a quick uh, story. We basically. Um, we did the last record together, which was called Living Like a Runaway, and it was pretty much her real comeback record from her divorce, and uh, she ended up writing a book called Living Like a Runaway, which tells a lot of what she's been going through the last 20 years in her career. 
So we made a really cool record together. We became just great friends. And we have this amazing chemistry when we're together that we, we finish each other's sentences. We both grew up on the same music. We have a similar outlook on things and um, just, just created a chemistry. And after the last record, a lot of time has passed. She's been doing a lot of stuff. I've been doing a lot of stuff. And this new record she's finishing now, I, I just think is incredibly amazing. Um, she was supposed to do the Alice Cooper tour this past year, but the COVID thing hit and she didn't get to do the Alice Cooper. And now she's just finishing the record and doing some, doing a bunch of tour dates, but she's in honestly the best shape physically. You know, she almost went like vegan. She's healthy, oh, um, wow. clean and sober. And she's, um, you know, just in the best shape I've ever seen her singing and playing. Did and you then, make her, did you make her start working out? <laughs> you know what? She kind of started on her own. She said my posts were rubbing off on her a little bit. She's like, Gary, I'm sick of seeing you in the morning. Let's go. Let's go. I swear, so, man. It's like, I want so she got a mountain bike and she started mountain biking. That's awesome. And, and she's doing awesome living out in Arizona in, in the desert she's living. But you know, this new record she's doing, man, I, I can't say too much about it because I want to let her say it when she's ready. But I can just tell people this. It's it's got some great heavy, heavy tunes. It's dark in some ways, but it's really uplifting. And uh the guy mixing it is Max Norman. For those of you oh, that might know up. him, Max Norman, who did, you know, uh, Bark at the Moon for Ozzy. He did Countdown to Extinction for Megadeth. So many great hard rock metal records. Lynch Mob. I love Wicked Sensation. Dude, there's a classic video of, of, of Lynch and, uh, and Max Norman in the studio that George Lynch did this instructional video that I, we all used to watch when we were in college. <laughs> we all met, me and my guitar player buddies and Max Norman has the classic, you know, sitting at the console, rocking out, you know, with his hands on the faders kind of thing. And that whenever I hear Max Norman, man, I think about that. I think about that video, but he's done so many classic records. man. Yes. He's done so many great records and a great engineer producer. So he's mixing this album and it makes me really happy because the last album I engineered and I mixed and you know, I, I'm, 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 I'm a pretty good mixer. I'm okay, but I just feel like I'm a better producer and I'm a better guitar player. And I like to let mixers mix and let guitar players play guitar. So I said to Lita, I'm not mixing this record. I don't care what you say. <laughs> so she said, well, all right. And so we got Max Norman and I love it because I get to talk to him and he's like, hello, Gary, how's it going? And I'm like, good, how are you? So we can, we can do British together. Um, exactly. <laughs> I know that I've read, I've read some of her press and it's so funny man because i read uh i i my 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 guilty pleasure every night to get my head out of listening to music is i read uh i read blabbermouth and they have yeah. the most outrageous headlines Fun stuff and things like that right <laughs> so that's why i keep up with like my rock and metal news and half of it i don't even know the band names i'm like i don't even know who these people are and so it's funny man because there'll be a headline there'll be a headline with gales or there'll be a headline with like Lita Ford and Gary Hoey record, blah, da, 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 da. And I'll be like, ah, there's Gary's name on, uh, on Blabbermouth. That's cool. You know? And then, and then I, I, I read her interviews about it, you know, and she's just raving about the guitar playing on it. You know, she says, uh, she says she's so confident in her guitar playing on this record that she just feels like this is some of the best guitar playing that she has ever done. And I'm like, I know who was there pushing her to play. <laughs> It was you. <laughs> yes, for me, for, for sure. For, it was me. But you know what? She didn't need a lot of pushing. I mean, she, she was doing great on her own. And I just, I don't know. We were just excited about the, about the guitar stuff. And I did. I kept pushing her a little bit. I did. I was like, Lita, man, 
you know, this man, you should just shred out this end section. Just do it, man. Give him some guitar, you know, give him this and that. Let's do some harmonies. Like she would play a part and then I would harmonize with her. And we were thinking, you know, all kinds of stuff like, you know, the early Alice Cooper records, the, you know, the Scorpions. We're thinking about, you know, Rick Derringer. We're just thinking all these bands that would have double guitars going and, and really complimenting each other. I guess she was talking about Dick Wagner and different players like that. So we tried to capture that. And I think we have some just really great guitar, layers of guitars and cool mixtures of, of, of tones and uh, it is a very guitar album uh, I think people are going to just love it man that's awesome do you know what the release date uh, do you know what the release date on it is well she she is um, you know the COVID thing hit and she kind of you know said let's get it done and then we'll figure out when to get it out and I know she's been shopping the record you know and Again, I can't say a couple names that she's been talking to, but it's making me really excited for this one person that's talking to her about doing the record with um, this label and this person behind it, which again, I can't say because I don't want to get in trouble, but it's it's somebody in, in the metal, I think in the metal world, that's so well respected that when people hear the connection with Lita, it's just going to be like, okay, this is a no brainer. You know, um, so that's coming, and I so I have a feeling that I have a feeling it'll be coming out in the new year, just because of the way things are going. You know, getting it mixed and then the the proper setup for whatever the deal is. So I, I'm thinking the spring. Now, is it is it mixed and done now? It's it's more than halfway done. It's oh, okay. more than halfway done, and um, yeah, and Lita. I don't know if she's been talking about it. Maybe she did talk about it, but you know, she did do a, a duet with Doro. Um, ah, okay, that's cool. You know, the amazing metal singer who, like, to me, she's like the leader forward of of Europe. <laughs> Right. And, and she was here in my studio sitting in this little chair she's so cute um, oh she singing. actually came there to track him she didn't do she, him she didn't do him remotely she, and and and, and in. In. nope we sent her the tracks and different things like that and i think she was had some ideas but lita you know lita was the one who said you know she's got to fly here and she came here with i think her manager or her engineer kind of guy and and her boyfriend i believe but they came and just um you know, it was an amazing time that's to have awesome, them together man. here. And again, that's Lita. Lita is an incredible visionary. She really has a great picture of what she wants and how things should be done to make it cool and awesome. And that's what she did. She's like, we have to do it in the same room at the same time. So when she came well, here, cool. that made it, it made it really special. It did. That's awesome, man. Yeah. And, yeah. and I know that that, that that is in such the classic rock and, and almost metal category. So Let's just talk briefly. And again, man, I don't want to keep you too terribly long. You tell me when you got a scoot, man, and I'll, and I'll let you. Well, I got I got a pizza in the oven, but you know the pizza's <laughs> almost done. <laughs> They're cooking. They, the family's in there cooking some pizza. Oh, tonight, I'm so, so sorry. I don't want to. Hold no, you up I'm not. Dinner, I'm not even worried about. It. It's not done yet. There's still. I'm, I'm looking at. The, I'm looking at my phone here. Hold on. What she say? He says. Um, Okay. Yeah, pizza's not done. We're good. Okay. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> See, this is how real this thing is, man. We got pizza cooking. My bro here. I swear. It is truly, it is truly conversations. Like that's all. I, that's all. This I, is never mind the UFC. This is as real as as, as it gets. That's your new logo. <laughs> I'm gonna put it up. I'm gonna put. It, I'm gonna edit it into the. Uh, I'll call Dana White. Movie. He'll be suing you. <laughs> so, so let's talk about how you got out. Not necessarily out, but you got, you got sort of into the the blues community and doing blues festivals and playing things like that because to me it's like you're a very you're a high octane blues player but you go into these festivals man and you totally win people over they don't it, you know what i mean you're not the rock guy you're not the rock guy that decided he was going to play blues to me you can tell all that influence on you and and just tell me briefly how that 
You know, and I know that's been a big part of the the last. How, how many of the how many of your last records would you consider to be blues records? Well, for, it's definitely been the last ten years. Um, and it's funny because the first blues full blues record I did, which you know, going back to my first album, there was a blues song on it. You know, Animal Instinct had a song called Texas Sun, which I had done for a tribute to Stevie Ray because he passed away. And man, that song it was it's, it's just a barn burner. And and that one was me, you know, trying to be my best Stevie Ray. And so I've always had the blues in there for sure. Um, and at the end of Lita's record, Living Like a Runaway, we had spent you know a lot of time on this kind of metal record. She had been going through a divorce. It it was very emotional for her we were all going through a lot together as friends and so um when it ended i'm like you know i just want to do a blues record man you know i just want to do a blues record because it, it's fast and furious man just go in it's raw so i did an album called deja blues and that single man that one song deja blues it's a little bit robin trower kind of sounding that has become almost one of my biggest itunes downloads it's become almost one of my biggest i streams uh, i mean uh, whatever it's spotify but it's just popular for, for people and uh so that album it just got me into doing like a full blues thing and i decided that i would um I would stick with the blues and sort of try and maybe just, you know, fuse the blues and the rock of what I was doing, maybe thinking, okay, I'm getting into my 50s now, it's time to, you know, do the blues. I was thinking to Gary Moore, I was thinking these people, and also the timing was right. You know, I'm a person, the way, the way I've survived in this business for 30 years, honestly, is I pay attention to timing. I watch when things have kind of got done and it's time for me to move on, and I pay attention to the to scene and what's happening in the industry, and, I, and I'm not trying to follow trends but i realize when it's time for me to reinvent myself and so the timing happened with mascot records they were they were into you know rock blues records like bonamassa and some of these great blues rock players and and especially guys from america were kind of doing it so i had signed with them and they did an album called dustin bones with me and then my latest one neon highway blues was with mascot so again the timing was great for me to do blues rock you know because they were interested in signing me as that and my manager said, Gary, they don't care about your shred. They don't want an album of shred guitar, instrumental rock. They don't care. And I said, great, because I'm not doing that right now. I have these blues songs. Right. And so timing was good. I wasn't trying to fake it. I was really into it. And um, and Frank Solomon, you know, who's been managing me, he, he also manages Steve Morris and uh, Vinnie Moore and uh, oh yeah, Vinny. Some, some great guitar players and Dream Theater, that other amazing guitar player. <laughs> yeah, he's so, pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> not too bad so frank solomon i i thank frank honestly and jake uh his son jake solomon great guys for um helping me to introduce me to mascot records and ed over there who also has you know eric gales and all these great other artists i'm, yeah, I'm assuming that they're still with and you know my original manager dave kaplan you know he was the guy that got me my warner brothers records he was the guy that got me endless summer too and introduced me to these amazing people so again guys your managers you know and the people out there that behind the scenes that can help you again when they tell you to go there show up and just do your job you know dave used to make me do the craziest things he'd call me and say i need you in burbank at three o'clock i need you there doing this and i would stop whatever i was doing and and go do it and um it really helped to, to you know um in the in this music business no matter what you're doing man be the guy that that says either yes or says you know what let me see if i can make it happen let me see because if you're the guy that always says no or always has an excuse then people won't call you yeah you don't get called back that's uh you, you just you know what i mean like it, it's just like for me people see someone that's busy 
and they they just think that guy's happening man he's always somewhere he's always doing something and they don't know if you're always getting paid or not they just know you're busy yeah. and it, and, it, and one feeds the next and i'm not trying to say go out there and do everything for free but even my friend benji when you said hey gary you want to do my podcast what did i say you said of course <laughs> I said, of course, man, I'd love to, because I love you. I love hanging with you. And I just said, you know, this will be a good time. And, and, you know, whether I can help you develop your, your thing that you're doing and you're obviously helping me, I just feel like, you know, find a way to make it work, man, you know, because yeah. you're going to just build your career <coughs> and everything you do is not going to be, you know, the most amazing thing, but make the best of it. And, um, I used to show up at in-stores and the PA would be in a box and they'd be like, here's, you know, and there's 300 people in the store waiting for me. You know, and I had to build the PA in front of everybody, you know, and I'd make jokes and I'd say, hey, man, hold this, you know, and just, just whatever it is, you know, you just make the best of it. And, yeah. and if, you know, um, it doesn't go your way, it, it's, it's not a big deal. So, yeah. And dude, every bit of what you said is, is correct. I, uh, I just, I was talking to, um, I was in a session until about five o'clock. So I was throwing the setup together you yeah. know to get this going i knew we had this going on at six and uh and i had a client in here and i was telling her i was like you know there's so much stuff that you do in this that you don't that that you're not getting paid for but like this this place of mine is my command central just like your studio and your home it's your command central man it's like everything that happens gary hoey wise unless you're on the road the majority of it happens there and it comes back to there like all that work that you're out and doing comes back to you and it comes back to there whether you're getting paid for the work up front whether whether it's stuff that you're doing that's a favor whether it's stuff like that so i i try to do things like that and i try to do things like this because if you do them <coughs> excuse me man if you do them and you do them with good intentions then it's all going to feed back to you you know what yeah, i mean it's giving back it's like giving back to yeah you know, yeah. It's like giving back because if I can tell my story, you know, and you can share me with people, it, it's, you know, maybe one thing I say will open a door for someone exactly. and they can go, wow, Gary said that one thing. I'm going to try that or this or that. And that to me is, is giving back because I have experience. I've gone through stuff and I remember reading interviews, you know, and just going, oh, I'm going to, I, I, I want to hear what that guy's saying because I, I need his experience and, and, you know, um, to hopefully learn from and, and grow from. And, uh, and that's what we're here for, you know, is to share, yeah. share that. And it's some of the smallest things sometimes too, man. Like you don't, I'll have a, I'll have a kid that like my, like one of my hustles when I, my studio is in a newer location of the past few years. But when I was in my old location, I was there for 16 years. And man, when I started out, I didn't have a lot of daytime and afternoon sessions. So I would teach guitar lessons for three hours, you know, 30 minute lessons for three hours. I had students that would come to me. Like I didn't, I didn't want to teach guitar. But again, it's one of those things where they say, can you do this? Their parents would approach me and say, can you do this? And I would say, uh, sure, I can make it happen. You know, so it became, it became that kind of thing, you know, and, 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 uh, well, that's your side hustle. You got to have some side hustles. That's what I tell my son. Totally. And it's all, it all adds up to a career. And I do love teaching. I taught, oh my God, I taught guitar for so long. I literally taught when I moved to Los Angeles, one of the things I did for a very long time was I was a guitar teacher. And that was my that was my living. I mean, I literally I had one of those little flyer papers that you hang on the all the shops, and they had these little tabs that you could pull off at the bottom, and you had my <laughs> it had my phone number on it, and I took some scissors and I printed it at Sir Speedy, and I cut the little tabs up, guys. You know the tassels. <laughs> Gary Hoey's phone number was hanging all over Hollywood. You could have had it. What'd you do? And I um. 
And I literally put on my paper, I said, I will teach you how to play like, and in big letters, I put Stevie Ray Vaughan, I put Joe Satriani, Steve I, and I put the five biggest guitarists in the world because these were the people I was trying to play like. Right. And so I, my students were walking, you know, lined up out the door and I, I was able to feed myself teaching guitar. And I loved teaching my friends and my fans and my, my students were like, um, it was like we had a therapy <coughs> session, talked guitar, talked family. Uh, some of them are still my dear friends to this day. You know, teaching guitar is a great thing, man. And I'm, I'm going to get back to teaching, actually. I'm going to get back to doing some maybe Zoom and Skype uh, lessons online with people because it's really fun, man, for me to sit and talk with another guitar, share ideas, and uh, and make some, make some of that. So I'm going to pick a day, maybe one day a week where I can just give a few hours to that. That would be awesome, man. That'd be yeah, great. I want to do it. So, so you're, you talked to me about working on some new tunes. You're working on some new tunes for a possible, possible new Gary Hoey release. Yes. I have a new album in the works and, uh, you know, I won't keep you the long story, you know, cause my, um, my manager, you know, everyone's been kind of at me like what, what's going on with the, with the album. And, um, you know, I could have put out two <clears throat> albums already, you know, I just, since COVID man, I kind of freaked out COVID hit and I'm like, I'm going to take care of my mom. I'm going to do some other stuff. And I just wasn't really into putting out a record that I couldn't tour behind. Right. It wasn't really something I just felt good about doing. And I, I could have put out a record anyway, you know, that people could listen to, but I just, I don't know. I was a little lost for a minute there. I was kind of doing a lot of blues stuff, some rock stuff, and, and I'm sort of spun all over the place. And now I feel like I have my focus. And sometimes it takes that, man. It takes you to find that spark that makes you say, this is the direction of the record, or this is what makes sense with the songs I'm doing. So I'm feeling great now about what I'm doing with the music. And, um, you know, it's probably going to have some blues in there for sure. But I think this album is leaning a little more toward the rock. Oh, yeah? <laughs> a, yeah, absolutely. It's leaning a little more toward the rock uh, overall, I think. And it's leaning a little more toward... Um, some just crazy serious guitar playing, man. I got to be honest because losing Eddie Van Halen, um, you know, God rest his soul. Losing Eddie was a huge one for me, and some of the other people we lost this past year. You know, um, you know, um, I'm, 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 my mind's going blank. I'm thinking Mountain. I'm thinking of the, uh, Leslie oh, West. Leslie you know, West. yeah, yeah, yeah. Leslie man. West, and you know, just all these great, great legendary players. And then all of a sudden, I decided to do a retrospective tour, which makes me go back <laughs> to my very first albums and really explore what people called me a shredder back in the shredder days and stuff yeah so i it, it's it's seeping into what this new album is becoming um and it is and uh you know it, it's gonna have some rock some really kick-ass rock in it for sure well that's awesome man well dude i yeah. am looking forward to it and i cannot thank you enough for your time today and i'm gonna let you off here so you can go eat your pizza uh and <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm eating for supper, but I got a feeling I'm getting ready to figure out in just a minute. So yeah, I was gonna say you got something. You got something either cooking or you got to figure it out. <laughs> or I got to or I got to pick something up. I'm not exactly sure. I got to check. <laughs> I, I know, call, right? That's I, how I, I text my wife. <laughs> that sounds like my household too. I sometimes I say, "Do you feel like cooking tonight?" Um, well, you know, my son's become a chef too. He's loving cooking, so he he could be in there cooking. Dude, He's mine like, too. Abraham is, is that, yeah. Isn't that nice? Oh wow, man, that's nice to hear. Because kids, it's funny. There's kids getting into cooking now. I don't know if it's from the stuff online that they see from different shows, but Ian's all of a sudden into cooking, um, and my daughter's a bit eating healthy too. So they sometimes I can't even get near the kitchen. They're all in there frying stuff up. So and Ian plays like, with you quite a bit, right? Ian's been playing with me a lot, man, over the years, a lot. And, um, you know, we, we've been, we were practicing a lot for a show that got canceled, you know, cause we had a rainstorm come in town. So we had an outdoor driving show that didn't happen. So he was bummed, oh, man. but, uh, we're still practicing. So I said to him, I said, why don't we just do it online? So I think we're going to play online. Oh, that's awesome. 
coming up. I think we're going to jump on together and uh, and do. I call them. I say we'll call it hanging with the hoies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome, man. We'll we'll definitely let us all know and um and everybody find Gary Hoey online. Find Gary Hoey on social media. Find Gary Hoey on Facebook and on Instagram and on all the places that you can find him and listen to his music everywhere. If you can buy his merchandise online, go buy his merchandise online no, and hang with me hang and with yes, me. and hang and hang with hoey so again <laughs> dude i cannot thank you enough and i really appreciate your time brother oh my pleasure bro thank you for uh really an, an awesome hang and great questions i think uh i think a lot of people are going to get some fun 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 things out of this and hopefully a few laughs um but <laughs> truly thank you brother loved hanging with you man i look forward to seeing you and uh we'll keep each other posted yeah man let's do it in person again soon okay all the best all right thank you brother my brother. All right. Ah! <laughs> I'll see you, bro. See you soon. Bye. All right. Be good. Thanks so much, brother. Have a Thank great you. night. Love to the family. All right, man. Thanks again for watching and listening to the new Conversations in Groove podcast. Like, comment, and subscribe anywhere you find a podcast and on our YouTube channel. Always remember, it's live right here from Earth Tones Recording Studio.